Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Relationships. With God, relationships with each other, reaching out into relationships to those that don't know God, it should be suspect. We should question it. We should bring it in alignment to to what God has said that he wants, which is for us to go and make disciples. And I love this story because it's all about the relationships. It almost didn't get included in the canon of scripture because it didn't have a ton of teaching and doctrine in it. But it was very obviously a letter from Paul to a church concerning an issue they were having. And asking them to step up to something that in their culture would have been unheard of. And so we're gonna start this morning by reading somebody else's mail, (laughs) because that's what this is. It's a letter written. But before I start doing that, I want you to, I wanna address something. It's especially awkward right now to talk about this particular story. Because central to the story is this conflict, and the conflict between these people involves a a slave and the owner that he ran away from. And even as I say those words out loud, they, they don't sit well in me. And I know that for some, uh, just hearing those words may invoke something a lot more raw and hurt and, and maybe anger. And in hearing that, we may want to look, this, as we hear those words, it's like, okay, the Bible has something to say about that. And we may come to it looking for the word of God to to say and for Paul to say, slavery is wrong. This shouldn't happen. And he's not gonna do that. He's not gonna address that directly and head on like that. And so there may be people who who would be offended by that and would just wanna stop listening at this point with that. But I wanna share a couple of things before we get started, before I dig into that. Um, Some reasons why you might wanna continue to listen. I'm gonna tell you the end of the story, even beyond the letter, before I tell you how they got there. And the earliest church tradition records that the people that mention in this book, almost all of them, were martyred. 
for their faith, they died at the hands of an oppressive government. But also, they died in freedom and equality with each other in Christ. Something else I wanna tell you is that in my studies as I read through this and it talked about the issue of slavery, it referred to, to accounts of American slave owners who kept the slaves that they owned illiterate. They didn't want them to learn how to read because they didn't want them to read the Bible and they didn't want them to read this letter because it talks about an equality and a valuing of people that would have gone into the face of their choice to, to own another person. And so there's something that's in this that transcends, that takes us to a whole different level that speaks more powerfully than an outright condemnation of slavery and it finds another way to provoke change. And I wanna tell you that their legacy of pursuing God's kingdom values is something that can transform the world when it's put into practice. So you still with me? <laughs> All right. Cool, I hope that gives enough reasons for you to stay, stay with me a little longer in this and, and for those that are watching uh, with the live stream to, to stay a little longer. Let me read this passage to you, this letter. We're gonna read it in its entirety. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, two Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all his people, holy people and of your faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love is giving me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, it is as none other, it is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now formerly he was useless to you, but he has become useful both to me and to you. And so I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would like to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. 
but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, dear brother. As a dear brother. He's very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it my very self. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is a letter, it's written in the formal way that a letter of an appeal would be written in this culture. It starts off with naming who it's from and who it's to and giving greetings. And it starts with remembering good things, remembering the things that have been done together that have made that relationship good and good hopes for the continuance of that relationship. And this Sunday, we're gonna get into the appeal part of it. I've got the best part of the whole book. <laughs> because between the lines of these words here, there's a story. And I want you to understand what's at stake in this story. It's easy to, to pass over such a short book of the Bible and... and you know, just see it and not really comprehend what's at stake. So this is what I'd like to do. Uh, Josiah, can you bring me a water? Go ahead and bring it right here. And stay. Onesimus, my son, I need to talk with you about something. Thank you for bringing me that. <laughs> you have been so helpful to me. And ever since you came here, ever since you ran here to me and visited me here under house arrest, you have worked to be a help to me. And I appreciate that so much. 
But for you to go and run away and to leave was wrong. And it's cost your owner. And though it breaks my heart to have to do this, and while it may sound like insanity to you, because you know what possibly could await you there because you ran away. You know that, that they can beat you and they can whip you and cut you to pieces, put you in the Colosseum. He has the right to kill you for running away according to the Roman law. But I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask both of you to do something. And in order for that to happen, I need you to take a letter to Philemon. And I need you to go take ownership of running away. Do you trust me? Yes. All right. Okay. I'm going to give you resources to get back. It's a long journey. And you're going to have a really difficult choice on the way because you could very well just as use those resources to get back home and deal with the situation. The whole way there, you're going to have to wrestle with whether or not to make the choice to run away further. But I'm confident that you know the right thing and I'm confident that, that you know that God is with you because now you believe. So I'm gonna ask you to do this hard thing. Will you do this? Yes. Okay. Pack your bags. We're sending you back. I want you to, to, to see what's at stake in this. Paul viewed this young man not necessarily young, Paul was, was old. <laughs> but he viewed this man as his very son. And he had invested in him and shared God's word with him and, and told him that God has a different life for you because of Jesus. Delivers you from this world and being held in bondage by your soul. And you could have that freedom in Jesus. Now, Paul does this. He did this with Timothy. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that sermon right here. It involves circumcision. <laughs> but 
Paul does this. There's a greater purpose, a kingdom purpose that he sees and he, he sees the opportunity to invest into the lives of people so that he can get a kingdom profit for that. Because again, relationship is what puts points on the board with God. Relationship is God's profit. And so he makes a decision to, in Timothy's situation, to have him do something that they were going around traveling around telling people that they didn't need to have done. And Paul asked Timothy, you need to have this surgery so that people will listen to you and it won't be a barrier to God, to his word, to sharing the hope that you have. And in that situation, Timothy trusted him and Timothy is mentioned here. So in this situation, he's invested. He spent time with the Colossians at this church. He has spent time with, with this family. Aphia um, is supposed to be uh, Philemon's wife that he's writing to. And Aristarchus, possibly a son somehow connected in leadership with the, the church that's there. And this letter is not just to them, but that letter is for the entire church. So he's making an investment. You can't have profit unless you invest yourself. You can't. You've got to put something in if you want to get something out with that. And it's wise to make smart investments, yes? Yeah. It is. And that's, the, Paul describes his basis as he's talking with Philemon that he feels like this is going to be a good investment that something good is gonna happen. In fact, he, what he describes here in this letter is the best possible outcome. How much time have we spent over the last year worrying about worst case scenarios? Those come really easy for me. You could throw out a topic, I could tell you the worst possible thing that could happen pretty easily. We work a lot of times to avoid the worst possible scenario. We put a lot of energy into trying to avoid the worst possible scenario. We wear masks to avoid the worst possible scenario. But the kingdom calls us to seek the best possible outcome that there's a place in these decisions that, that reflect who God is and things that he can do if we're willing to make crazy choices. 
And so that's what happens here. Onesimus has come, he's run away. There's a lot of different variations of how this story could have come, come out. With Philemon in the wrong, with, with Onesimus in the wrong. The bottom line is, is that he took off. And he finds Paul and he connects with him. And in that time, Paul pours into him, invests into him. And then Paul needs to send him back. Roman law, even though he was Jewish and believed slavery was wrong and that in Jewish tradition, it was the right thing to harbor somebody who was running away as a slave. He was also a Roman citizen and imprisoned by the Roman government there. And he's now in this really awkward position because he's now liable for harboring a slave under Roman law. And even to make it more awkward, the owner of this slave is the host of a church, an important man. Philemon was, is assumed to be wealthy. He's got slaves. He has a house big enough to allow a church to assemble. He has guest rooms. He's got a, a different standing than Paul and, and Paul acknowledges that in his request. And Paul takes a risk here. He goes and he says, Philemon, I sent this guy back to you. I'm sending him back. I love having him here. He's a huge help to me. And he's like my son now. Philemon, I want you to see him differently than when he left. Because when he left, he might've been useless. But now he's useful, which is what Onesimus means. Useful. And not only is he useful, he has value in the kingdom. He has value for you to see him as a brother and not as a slave. And so I'm gonna ask you to look at it differently. Paul's asking him to look past his rights as a Roman citizen. Paul's asking him to see this man as a person and not as a commodity. He's, he's asking him to do something that he is entitled to do, which is to, to punish a servant that's gone rogue and taken off. and to restore his standing 
He's taking a huge risk here, yeah? A huge risk. See, to have profit, you also have to have risk. You have to be willing to lose for the possibility to lose what it is that you're investing in order to get something back. And so everybody's gonna take a risk in this scenario now. For Paul, the risk is, you know, worst case scenario is Philemon blows him off, beats, kills, otherwise punishes Onesimus, which is gonna cause all kinds of questions as people look at the witness of this church and its leaders. There's gonna be drama, brokenness in those relationships, more letters to write. <laughs> For Onesimus, the risk is obvious. He's sending him back to the weight of the entire Roman government to be able to land on him. They were very strict with their laws. The, the punishments were huge. Titus or Philemon just could have killed him out of hand. Didn't need to be a trial. Because he ran away. The risk for Philemon is huge as well. He, Paul's asking him to, to trust this slave that, that ran away. Some of you are um, own businesses or have worked in businesses. And, and if you had an employee that stole from you, that took business from you, that was absent and derelict at their responsibilities and it cost you money, and then they take off without telling you, do you hire them back? Conventional thinking, earthly thinking, the thinking of the flesh says no. That would be a, that would be a terrible choice because it could happen again and again. And so he's asking Philemon to take a risk here on the basis of, of their relationships. And he tells them, there's gonna be a bigger profit. You're gonna get more out of this if you do this. That is the amazing thing about the gospel. It's the amazing thing about the, the grace that God gives us if we truly believe it. And if we take action on it, we can see miracles. And that's what Paul is setting up here. I don't think we would have had this letter if the outcome had been anything other than what's in the letter. 
And his hopes for is that Philemon is gonna go and exceed the expectations of, his, of this letter. I love how he puts everything again in the, the best possible outcome. He builds up everybody in this letter. This is gonna be good for Onesimus. This is gonna be good for you. This is gonna be good for my heart. This is gonna be good for your church because he's doubled down by including the church in this, by bringing other people around to witness a personal matter. There's gonna be something better that comes out of all of this. You have to invest, you have to take risks. If you want a better profit, if you want a profit for God in relationships, we have to invest, we have to take risks and we have to see a different profit. And, and I've seen that in the lives of people here. There's many people I could, I could go and, and just talk to you about. And Carmelo is one of the names that comes to my mind most easily because he's had so many of these kinds of situations where in order to do what God wants him to do, he's gotta go do something that's crazy and walk in to a circumstance that you know, he's been freed from in so many different other areas of his life and find himself sitting in a prison cell. But to be able to, be, because of Pastor Brent's investment in him and because of other of our pastor's investment in him, calling him to, to, to do something different and, and trust God for that outcome, that something better can happen. The stories are absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to get the book. All the way up to him getting married last year. Wow. So many stories in here of things that you know that God asked you to do that made no sense, that looked like it was gonna have a disastrous result, and that you've seen God turn to good. I've thought about a lot of different uh, examples I could give of this in my life and, and things I've experienced. And, um, and the three stories I have were, were all stories of, of where I asked people to do something hard. But I think will benefit the most this morning. And my son who said, told his mom this morning that he wants to hear from God this morning, he wants to hear God speak to him through this message. Um, I would not have wanted you to hear this, hear this, have other people hear this before 
I said this to you and told you about this. But at the same way, uh, I want you to hear it like other people had to hear it. That some almost 20 years ago, that I was asked to do some hard things. I was asked to take the struggle that I'd been dealing with since I was your age with pornography and not just heal from it, but to find that healing in going and standing before the church and my wife, Granny and Papa, and the youth workers, the parents of the kids that I was an example for, and the kids, and anybody else who needed to understand, had a right to understand why I was being fired. And that was so crazy. I remember it feeling like a cliff that, that God had asked me to jump off of. And I kept asking him, God, you're gonna catch me, right? And it was just really quiet. You got me, right? Quiet. The only thing I heard from God is, I want you to go and I want you to do this. And every night that I went and every opportunity that we had that we told this, our church body this, which was my idea. This was not the, the old story you hear of, of some pregnant teenager that gets dragged up in front of the, her church to confess her terrible sin. Boyfriend's not around. <laughs> This was, this was something that, that we had asked to do and we were asked to do it because by my counselor who said, this is your path to healing is to take ownership for this because you're a person that stands in front of people and that they look to. And so you need to deal with this in a public way. So I'm not sharing anything with you although you've not heard this this way. I'm not sharing with you the deep dark family secret because things came out of that choice. But there was still one more thing that God wanted me to share with people that was even worse and harder for me to do as we went through that. The reality was is that I was a religious person. I grew up in the church. I loved church. I, the church was my refuge as a teenager, as my family was falling apart. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to, to go and, and, and be in leadership. And so much of that was driven by this other part of me that, that was broken and that had not experienced grace because I had hit it in my shame. And so I kept taking on new things and I had all these gaps in my life. And I tried to fill them 
with things to make me feel better, to help deal with my pain. And ultimately, as we put weight on those things, it collapsed. And the reality was that and one of my young people called me out on it as I was sharing. He said, have you ever known Jesus? Have you ever walked with God? And the reality that I knew to be true, not just from that moment, but all along, was that every call to recommit, every call to new leadership, I could do that. But there was always, whether I was bringing a group of teenagers to hear that message and to, to make those decisions, it always felt like I needed to make the first decision. And I realized at that time in that moment that, that my relationship with God was on my terms. It wasn't on his terms. It got really complicated that I'd become a pastor. It got really complicated that, that young people had to look and say, he baptized me and he doesn't know Jesus. What, is, what do I do with that? And so we as a church, we walked through that. They made a hard choice. They came and, and invited us to stay. And a series of hard choices followed after that, but it, the hardest choice started with being able to acknowledge in front of and confess Jesus as Lord for the first time for real that I had sin that I could no longer even comprehend trying to make up for and pay myself. And that I needed God to, to do something because I was lost. And so that's what I did. And it was amazing. The things that have come out of that are amazing. The journey to here has, has been a long one, but that journey has come and the ministry that I get to be a part of has come with understanding how important it is to take ownership and the power of that, the power of truth-telling, the power of being able to be one person and not to have all these different versions of yourself because you're trying to keep people in the dark so they don't see how you really are. They don't see that, that you don't think that, that anybody could love you, that if they really knew you, they definitely wouldn't love you. And that you're walking through life trying to meet your own needs, fill in the blank. And for me, that was pornography and fantasy. And when I stepped off that cliff, 
which was the highest cliff I've ever jumped off of, I think. That's when healing really began. That's where transformation really got traction. And there was still a long path. There were still a lot more hard choices to make, but they could be made with a confidence. And that's what's at the heart of this book. That's what sits above this whole situation in the story of Philemon. If I'm in relationship with God, will he really do it? If I do this hard thing, can something amazing really happen? And we know from experience and we see from God's word as he takes broken people, person after person after person, and with his grace and with his mercy, with his forgiveness, takes broken people and puts them back together again and then uses them. And he takes those hard places, those hard choices, and he builds maturity in them and character in them. That process never stops. I have not arrived, okay? There are harder choices to come. The hardest choice though at the beginning is just to trust that God's gonna, I can trust him with my soul. So you wanted to hear from God this morning. No dad wants to look bad in the eyes of their son or to, to take away that part of a son where his dad's his hero. And I'm not proud of what I was before. And there were consequences to it, very, very hard consequences. And my job was the least of it. But God did amazing things out of that. He gave us you. Because I was willing as a youth worker to work with everybody else's screwed up kids, but I didn't want to screw up one of my own. I didn't want to have kids. I couldn't see myself as a, as a father until after I walked through that. And we wanted you so badly. That we're here, that we're in this place right now is because God asked us to do hard things. And you can trust him because he is faithful in that. And that's the message in Philemon, is that God is capable of doing miracles in relationships that would cause any relationship of, or any miracle of, of safety in deliverance or a miracle of provision, or a miracle of physical healing, to shame. Because we can't take the outcomes of those with us to heaven. 
It's the miracle of restored relationship that goes with us to heaven. So I'm going to stop there. And I'm going to ask you just to think about your life and some of the hard decisions that God has made and be thankful. To, to take time, as, as Sean said, in this season, to, to look at the things that we walk through and God asks us to do. That when he tells us to go and talk to somebody, when he tells us to, to, to go into some workplace and, and where it seems hostile, when he, when he tells us to, to mind our words when our flesh wants to speak for us on social media. Those things that, that God calls us to do, there's an outcome there's promises on the other side of that that we can trust and that we can rely on because God is good. And even if it doesn't turn out the same way, even if it becomes a mess again, God is still good. And he's still walking through whatever that is with us. That is the truth. That is the power of the gospel. And if you don't know that, if this is something that they, you don't understand or maybe not have realized, whether that's because you've, this is the first time you've heard it or because you're like me and you've been hearing it all your life and you just never stepped up and walked in it. You need to go to God and if he's asking you to do something, to stand in that and to confess Jesus Christ as the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm not going to give a walk down altar call kind of thing. Um, because that decision should be told in a relationship. It's a harder choice to, to walk up to somebody and say, I'm broken. I need grace and I need love and I, I need to be part of a community. I, need, I want to be accepted. And is there hope for me? And to have a brother or sister who knows, who's been there, who's walked there, to say, yeah, it's true. It can happen. And so if that's you this morning, you don't get the easy out just because I'm not going to have you walk down or raise your hand. You have the hard choice of going and finding a pastor, finding, you should be able to turn around to anybody in here almost and say, how do I find faith in Jesus? How do I walk this life? And we can all take people as far as we've chosen to walk ourselves. Come on. So you should not fear that somebody would ask you that. And because we're a body and the body has many parts and those parts have different functions and all those parts are valuable, there's another part of the body that can help you out if you don't know what to do. 
And so that's this morning as we pray is simply my plea with you as a church body that we be the body of Christ, that we do the hard things, that we invest in each other, that we invest in people out in the world, that we take risks this morning. Let me pray. Father God, Thank you so much. Um, thank you that I'm still standing up here. Um, thank you that it feels right to be here telling this. Because this is, this is what you've done. And you are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. <laughs> I can run out of that tomb. I am free from my sin. And that freedom exists for everybody in here in the same way it existed for a runaway slave and a man who thought he owned somebody, but God said, I own you both. And I love you and I care for you. Father, thank you for loving us like that. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.